All right. Well, we are uh, still in the Gospel of Matthew. We are still in chapter 22. We are finishing out uh, these uh, this rapid-fire encounters that Jesus has been having with those who most disagree with him. Uh, as it turns out, the score is, uh, right now, Jesus a million, them zero, it, turn, it seems, uh, in all these encounters, as they try to trip him up or uh, get him to say something he's not supposed to say or whatever, and he keeps turning the tables on him. And uh, tonight is, um, to me, t- tonight's going to sound, honestly, it's going to sound a little bit familiar to you, because it's going to continue to strike a note um, that uh, we try to strike here all the time, uh, because according to Jesus, it's what's most important. So, uh, you'll, you'll, you're going to understand some of this, I think, if you've been here enough or, or, or recognize it. But I think it's important for us to take some time and go through what's being said in these verses and consider what it means for us on a day-to-day basis. So let's go ahead and read uh, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 45, and then we will talk a little bit about it. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, an expert in the law... That means Torah, the first five books of what we would call the Old Testament, not law like lawyer like we think of. Um, So that's what it means. Expert in the law. Asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments... Hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, quote, the Lord said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put my enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer. Nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. This is just a great thing to end with. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. So I I had a long season of my life where I was a big fan of making fun of what we called Sunday school answers. Some of you are familiar with that idea. Some of you maybe didn't grow up in church or Sunday school. may not be. But Sunday school answers are those get-out-of-jail-free cards that we learn early in our childhood church careers to pull out when a question gets asked, right? Those indisputably correct answers for any of the questions that might come your way in Sunday school. No matter what the teacher might ask, you could confidently raise your hand and answer, Jesus or God, or love, right? And the teacher was usually not allowed to tell you you were wrong for saying it. After all, what Sunday school teacher wants to reprimand you for saying Jesus' name out loud in church? That was Sunday school answers. I was well equipped with them. I I, I reveled in raising my hands and giving those answers. Uh, Earlier this week, uh, we had found out, uh, we had gotten some inside information from one of the priests at Sacred Heart, where my daughter goes to school, that uh, he clarifies something with her name, make sure it's Lillian Dixon, right? We said, yeah, wh- why do you need to know our daughter's name? What's going on? He's like, well, we call on people during Mass to answer questions. And we thought, oh, this is awesome. Our daughter's going to get called on in school Mass to answer a question on the spot. 
And so we were making jokes with Lillian because she found out and she was you know, a little bit nervous about the fact that she was going to get called on by the priest in the middle of the service to answer some question we didn't even know what it was. And so I started telling her about Sunday school answers, just giving her a hard time. I was like, well, it doesn't matter what he asks. All you have to do is just confidently say Jesus with a big smile on your face. He can't say you're wrong. And I'm giving her a hard time about that. And she did what she does with anything I say right now, which is roll her eyes and say, Dad. Um, which is just, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just crack cocaine for me as a dad. I love, I just, every day I got to get a couple hits of that eye roll and, and exasperation. It just makes me feel good about who I am. So we told her, whatever the question is, right, just say Jesus confidently. And uh, so as, as it turns out, the priest did. That next mass, uh, call Lillian Dixon, let me ask you a question. She said, yes, uh, Father. And he said, uh, what is sin? <laughs> she smiled and confidently answered Jesus and has been excommunicated from the Catholic Church, which we technically didn't belong to in the first place. No, she, as always, ignored what I told her to do. In this case, it was a good decision. And she answered, uh, you know, correctly, uh, instead of just saying Jesus uh, blindly, like I would have probably done just because I thought I could always get away with doing that. And, and I even remember the point when Sunday School Answers stopped becoming my favorite tool of choice and started becoming a deep annoyance to me, and that was when I became the teacher instead of the student. Uh, in college, I started leading different camps and Bible studies, and I would have uh, youth groups and stuff that I was leading in things. And I remember leading one Bible class of ninth graders at some camp I was doing and getting so frustrated because all those kids were so well-versed with Sunday school answers, but they didn't know they were dealing with the Jedi Master. I had grown up with this, right? And at some point, oh, I, I believe I asked him the question, if I remember correctly, was, so what is it we keep saying? What do, you, what do we mean when we say we give our lives to Christ? What, is, like, what does that mean? And every hand proudly shot up at the same time all big smiles, confident smiles on their face. And they could have almost said it in unison, although it was one boy in the front that I called on who said it. And he said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And everyone just nodded their head and felt really good about it. And it deeply annoyed me because I knew that was just the Sunday school answer thing to say. I couldn't take it from the confident kid in the front. So I said, okay, let me ask you something. I said, what is a Lord? And I will never forget the smile quickly leaving his face and the blood leaving his head and him going, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I said, okay. And I, was, okay. I said, you, what does Savior mean? It's Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. And, they, and you realize that they just kept saying the same thing over and over again. And so much to their chagrin, we spent the whole rest of the time talking about that one sentence. Like, okay, congratulations. You know the correct answer, but do we know what it means? And we just kind of unpacked and talked. It ended up being a great class, and it was because we pushed past the Sunday school answer. And I thought, that's it. I no longer accept the Sunday school answer, right? What an outrage that these children would look at me, their leader, and just blurt out these phrases without really plumbing the depths of what it means and why. So I became virulently, I can't even say that word, I was very much against <laughs> Sunday school answers. And then I went to, heaven, went to heaven, which is I went to seminary. And seminary 
you will get crucified for Sunday school answers, right? It is the place where Sunday school answers go to die. Sometimes it's the place where all answers go to die. Everything we questioned, we parsed out every word, we looked at everything a thousand different ways. You could not get away with a pat Sunday school answer. It was wonderful. I was learning all these new things. I felt great about it. But I have to be honest with you. Years since I've been in seminary, maybe I'm just getting less intelligent, maybe I'm forgetting too much of the good things we talked about, but my confession to you is I'm kind of coming full circle on this entire idea. I think I'm back to being in love with Sunday school answers. Those simple answers that feel like a cop-out or a compromise or some way of dodging what's really difficult in this world are starting to ring more and more true to me every day. In fact, I'll be honest, I would love to see the church at large, uh, our institutions that call themselves Christian, begin to confidently raise their hands once again and say Jesus or love to a lot more of the questions that they're facing. In fact, it's amazing how often we call something Christian even when Jesus seems to have not been a single part of the decision-making in regards to that institution or that thing. We are quick to convince ourselves that Jesus or love is too simplistic an answer to be taken seriously. But today I think we find Jesus giving a Sunday school answer. And for good reason. An expert in the law, someone who knows all the ins and outs, decides to take a shot at the rabbi who has outwitted every other public opponent in rapid succession. And strangely enough, the question he chooses to try to stump Jesus, to really test him, turns out to be a really easy one to answer. In fact, it's kind of the only one that Jesus directly answers at all. What matters most? Essentially is what the the teacher of the law says. What matters most? And shockingly, Jesus is willing to just answer this one. Not ask a question back, not tell a story that has nothing to do with what the guy says. Just answer the question. And Jesus quotes from two passages from the Torah. And he ties these two passages together, even though they're not next to each other in the Torah. And he binds them together forever. And in these two quotes, uh, in these two scriptures, you're going to find a lot of common themes from what we talked about last week. So the first one uh, is from Deuteronomy 6. One of the places it's at is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. I think we have this on the slide. This is known as the Shema. The Shema Ya Israel. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit home, sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, never stop thinking or talking about this. Hero Israel. The Lord, our God, it's our God. God has chosen us. We are this God's beloved. This God has chosen to love us first. The Lord, our God, is one. This is not a divided God. Not a divided in nature, 
not invited in what God wants. They're in the only God, the one who has provided for us. You don't have to go make sacrifices to the river God over here and the rain God over here and the God of fertility over here. The one true God. The Lord our God is one. And you should love this God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, as we talked about last week, right? No division of allegiances here. This is to be the thing that the followers of God orient their entire lives around. Put it on your hand. Put it on your forehead. Every time you look in the mirror, think about it. Every time you walk through a door frame, think about it. Never forget the answer to the question, what is most important? There's a reason why this comes up so much. The second passage he quotes is in Leviticus 19, 19 verse 18 actually, and it says this, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Treat those you meet like there's no distance between you and them. You are no better than them. Love them as you would love your own body. Not because it is perfect or without blemish, not because there's things that need to be fixed or aren't quite right, but because we are loved by the one true God in that way. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God by loving each other. All the commands, all the prophets hang on this. It's not just that these are two big and important things that are now joined together They are the thing. They are intended to be everything. Pervasive, right? Arguably, these two great commandments are the smallest things in the kingdom of God. They are the DNA. The most minute building blocks that are always present in anything that comes from God. The thing thing that is most elemental, you can't break it down any further. It can't be divided or broken down into more essential parts. Everything in God's kingdom is born of this genetic code. It's the dividing line. It's the beginning and ending point of why we do what we do, of our ethics, of our morals, of our fill in the blank. Everything in God's kingdom is grown from here, period. And that's an important thing to remember because I don't know about you, but I was brought up to think about so much of what uh, God asked of me or wanted for me to basically be this almost arbitrary list of rules, right? Right? I was told all the things I wasn't supposed to do. We never talked about why. We never talked about the purpose of those things. All the commandments hang on this. They're all about love, or they have nothing to do with why we're here. Everything in God's kingdom has grown from here, period. God did not arbitrarily make up a list of rules to test our devotion. God's commands serve a purpose. Everything in the kingdom of God comes from this DNA and we will be able to identify it by its fruit, by what it inevitably produces. So this answer, these great commandments that Jesus joins together are basically the smallest idea imaginable. That thing that imbues all that we do. The genetics of faith. The smallest of the building blocks. But it's also the biggest. It's also that big thing that everything else needs to be ordered underneath. 
Which is why Christ follows up their question after answering it with his own strange question that as I read it, you probably went, huh, what? That strange question about David and the Lord, right? I think this is why he has that follow-up question. They try to stump Christ with a test question that he quickly and easily answers, and then he returns the favor with a question about David and the Messiah that they can't answer at all. And in fact, no one asks them a question ever again. It's a question of the large variety. It's a question of lordship. As generations of people at this point have been praying and longing for the salvation of Israel, praying and longing for salvation from the son of David, from someone in the line of their favorite and most revered king, King David, the mighty warrior, defender of God's people. And then Christ proposes that Scripture itself demonstrates that actually David is not the top of the food chain. David calls the Messiah Lord. In other words, David is to be viewed in light of the Messiah, not the other way around. The Messiah has no need to look like David. No, David is judged in light of the Messiah. It's a profound idea when someone has been valorized for as long as David has been valorized for these folks. They have a certain idea of what a Messiah is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like David. But they don't need another David. They need David's Lord. A Lord that is less conquering warrior and violent uh, overthrower of the kingdoms of this world and more servant on a cross. So Jesus leaves us with these simple Sunday school answers to consider in every conversation we have, to consider with every person we meet, Consider every doorway we walk through and every time we look in the mirror. Love God by loving each other. That is our DNA. That should be the only elements that we are building from. Who is our Lord? By what light do we evaluate and orient our lives? What matters most? This is a deeply important question for us to always hold before us. How many different Christian institutions or Christian heroes that we've created are going to have to fall in spectacularly bad ways before we remember that this is what we have to always keep in front of us? What's most important is not our reputation. What's most important is not our institutions. What's most important is not our success. What's most important is love as Sunday school an answer as that might sound like. Love is not the stuff of Hallmark cards, as we have said before, but love as defined by the birth and life and teachings and death and resurrection of Christ. Love as the cross. Christ did not create something new. In fact, he goes back to the Torah to answer the question. This has always been true. He didn't make up something new, but he did give us the fullest picture of who God is and what God wants. He did give us a lens by which we can look back over all the kings and prophets and commands that preceded him. 
He did incarnate what was written on the door frames and foreheads of all those who followed their creator. It's our DNA, and it's always only been about cross-shaped love. It is the answer to every meaningful question we are asking. The who, the what, the where, and the why of our lives. The DNA and the destination of our politics, our work, our institution building, and our behavior. It's always only about this one thing. So every day, when in one of a million forms, this question gets asked to us again and again, what really matters, do not sit on your hands. Quickly and confidently raise your hand and give the simple Sunday school answer that just happens to always be correct. Love. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God. We are grateful. We are thankful for something that is so simple yet so deeply true. That when all is said and done, all that really matters in this world is love. Is that we learn increasingly day by day to love each other as we were first loved by you. To order our lives, our work, our passions around the very thing that drove you to take flesh and blood and dwell among us and give your very lives for us. God, may we learn to increasingly, day by day, focus on nothing other than being your incarnate love to those who we come across in this world. May we not get too cool for the Sunday school answers. God, we do love you. We are grateful for the simple, though difficult, task you have given us. We love you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.